Hey, I know, I know this looks, me wearing this looks like I'm trying really hard to fit in and look cool, but there is a very purpose. Is Joe Brackett here by any chance? Darn it, Joe. Um, <laughs> Joe and I have this ongoing thing that um, he always wears these really cool basketball jerseys, and I basically want to be like Joe Brackett. Um, but um, you don't know Joe, a lot of you. But anyway, this is very purposeful for the guys um, to come to fall retreat because this is a statement, me wearing this Sonics jersey of Kevin Durant uh, because the male staff plus one or two mystery players will take on all challengers this coming weekend at the fall retreat. Name your sport. That's it. Name your sport. We'll take it. There's basketball. There's going to be flag football. There's going to be soccer. Um, Hannah and Kirsten will take you on in dancing. Uh, you know, so, and you think I'm joking. We have a legitimate ballet dancer, and we haven't seen Hannah hip-hop dance, but she talks a lot at a, about it a lot. So, and Mary Alice, by the way, you don't want to get on a soccer field with her. Um, I still have bruises on my shins. But anyway, guys, come and bring it. Bring it. We will, there will be prizes awarded at the fall retreat for uh, anybody that can take on the, the staff and uh, defeat us in one of those games. So come and sign up. Uh, for those of you that have never been on a retreat before, and uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, I don't want to make any sort of assumptions about stuff. So if you were like me and you've never been on a retreat, this is what it looks like. Friday, we're going to gather here at 5 p.m. in the hub and organize rides, and the camp is only about an hour away. And we'll, you know, people will probably grab dinner on the way up there. And uh, this camp is on a beautiful lake, um, and it's called Camp Vesper Point. There's, I think there's a lot of people that have probably worked as counselors here in the room. And, uh, and Friday night, we'll have a time of worship. It's a lot more intimate than this. It's smaller. And uh, Zach Flowers and Riley, I think, is uh, leading us in, uh, in worship. And then my wife and I, my wife Kelsey and I, are going to be our, the speakers for the weekend. And um, my wife and I love to teach together, and um, we are talking about the book of Galatians and how Paul uses the images of slaves and orphans to describe the way that we often deal with living uh, under God, how we, how we live amongst one another, but that instead, the Bible more, more often calls us sons and daughters. And we're going to talk about what it means to move from slaves and orphans to sons and daughters so I, I hope you come Saturday uh, we have a couple of teaching times and worship times and then it's a lot of free time uh, it's only an hour away and then we're back by about 11:30 to Chattanooga on Sunday morning so I know that you'll rush home to do all your studying right on Sunday afternoon that's what everybody does especially during football season so um, we want you to come. Uh, it is uh, $55, and um, by the way, some people go, ooh, well, we're actually losing about $20, $25 on every single one of you if you come, but um, we want this to be a great place for you to form a, a smaller community within the house, and it's always a wonderful time, and the staff loves to embarrass students in sports. So, um, so here we go. We've been doing this series uh, called Felt Board Jesus, and here we are again, and um, we have, obviously, you know what this is, right? Everybody knows this story. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, if, uh, if you can't tell from back there. 
And we're going to, this is one of the few Bible stories that's kind of made it into just our common everyday language. To be thrown into the lion's den, Daniel in the lion's den is, is a phrase that even if you don't know, know the story, it's kind of used in the vernacular, if you will. And as I was reading a, one of my kids' children's Bibles, which I actually really love, I just laughed at one of the, t- the title for this story that the Bible gave it. They called it Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, if I were, had a sleepover with some lions in the bottom of a pit, that would be a scary sleepover. But what's interesting is that, that, that how we minimize the, the effect of this story, um, and if you read any sort of children's Bible, the illustration is usually you know, a, a lion with his head on Daniel's lap and, and Daniel's like petting him and all that kind of stuff. And, and we don't know exactly what went down other than Daniel made it out. I'm ruining the story already for you. But, but um, it's really interesting how that story is, is often told. And, and let me give you a little bit of background. If you were here a few weeks ago, and by the way, if you're gonna be coming all semester, we're gonna kinda hop back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. And so this week, we're back in the Old Testament. Just a couple weeks ago, we looked at the person of Moses, who was called by God out of this burning bush to, to lead God's people out of slavery. And so they, they were delivered from the Egyptian slave masters, and they were brought in, and they became a, a, a fairly prosperous nation. Well, in the book of Daniel, we're looking at a time where actually foreign kingdoms came in and took over Israel, and then exiled, sent away some of God's people, some of the Israelites, and Daniel was one of them. In the book of Daniel, we learn that, that these foreign kingdoms came in, the king of Babylon comes in, and takes some of the noble people, the nobility, from Israel, and Daniel is one of those people. Now, in the, what we, if you read the first few chapters of Daniel, you'll find that Daniel kind of begins to rise up among the ranks because he's able to interpret some of the dreams that the kings have. And, and by the way, there's about two other kings before this one that Daniel's able to do some things, and, and all of a sudden the kings start to notice, and they begin to elevate Daniel to a position of prominence and power. Now, before this story right here, what begins to happen, though, is that some of the officials in the king's palace start to get really jealous about Daniel. I mean, imagine this for a moment, that, that you've lived in a country your whole life, you kind of moved yourself up through the political ranks, and then this foreign person who's actually somebody that, from a, a, a land that, that your kingdom had conquered comes in and is slowly moving past you on the chain of command. You can imagine why some of these officials began to be really jealous about Daniel and his rise to prominence. And that's exactly what what begins to happen. And so these officials conspire against Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel is always presented as this, really this kind of a heroic figure. Um, And I talked in the last couple weeks about like one of the things that we often do with these stories, we make heroes out of the the Old Testament people and the message is, hey, be like this person. Well, with Daniel, I wouldn't be surprised if all of us would read that and go, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, look at Daniel. I mean, Daniel did all these things. God had given him gifts. He rose to a place of prominence and power. And then he's faithful to God. He's faithful to God, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances. And what happens here is these officials 
see Daniel rising to a place of power and they know that they can't get him on anything else. They know that Daniel's not going to do anything to speak bad against the king or the kingdom. He's not going to do anything wrong. And there's a line in the scripture that says that the only thing we're going to be able to do, I'm paraphrasing, is do something that goes against the law of his God. And so what, this is what they do. They go to the king and they say, King Darius, we think that it would be a good idea for you to construct a law, to make a law which cannot be revoked, that for 30 days no one should pray except to you. King Darius goes, okay, let's do that. And so he writes it down and they go, you know, any law that you write down cannot be revoked. And he goes, that's fine. So then they go and they spy on Daniel and Daniel had a habit and he hears, by the way, the scripture says that he hears about this law and he returns to his room and prays as he always did to his God. Well, you know, kind of know what's coming, right? The officials find him, they tell the king, and then this is what happens next. We're gonna put up the scriptures in verse uh, 16, starting in verse 16, and it says, the king gave the order. He had ordered that anyone that would not pray to him would be killed. And so the king, even though he's, he's, he's devastated, it actually says in the scripture that he tries to find a way to rescue Daniel, but he cannot. He cannot. And it says that the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And this is interesting. Listen to, the, listen to the faith that the king has. Somehow he knows about Daniel's God because he says, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And a stone was brought, that's what this thing is, um, over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. He cared about Daniel. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It's a happy ending, isn't it? It's a happy ending. Daniel was faithful and God rescues him through a situation that looks Worse than this. Lions in the pit, certain death, and yet through an entire night, God shuts the mouth of the lions and Daniel's rescued. There's really some interesting things, though, that, that happen in, the, in this story. The king really tries to rescue Daniel. And there's, a, there's another message, I think, that's being said in the scripture that the, the earthly king tries to rescue Daniel, but he's caught by his own law. He made a law, and he had to stick to it. He made a statement that anyone that did not pray to him would die. 
And when push came to shove, he had to obey that. Now let me make a modern parallel. I don't know how much you're watching the news, but right now there's a whole situation about the country of Syria and our country. And do you know what the problem is? Our president, I'm not making any statement, but our president several months ago and maybe a year ago said, if anyone uses chemical weapons on somebody, that is the red line upon which if that gets crossed, the United States will intervene militarily. And so they have found evidence in Syria of that leader using chemical weapons. So our president is in a very similar situation here. He made a statement. Anybody uses these weapons, we've got to intervene. But if you read the news, you know that Congress and Senate's not so wild about this. Other countries aren't really joining in, but our president is stuck because he made a statement. He cannot back off of it. In this story, that king is in the same situation. A king loses face if he says, this is what I'm going to do, and then decides not to do it. And there's several times within the scripture, it says the law of the Medes and the Persians, the groups of people in that area, cannot be revoked. But this story says otherwise. The law can be revoked when God intervenes. But he's stuck. He cannot rescue. The king cannot rescue. But when he sees that God rescues, all of a sudden, the law becomes secondary. He sees Daniel's God rescue him. And then later in this scripture, if you go on and you read this, the king issues a new decree, completely ignores the old one. He issues a new decree. In the face of watching God rescue, he issues a completely new decree, and he says everyone in his kingdom now must fear and revere Daniel's God. And he goes on and he says, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed His dominion will never end, for he rescues and he saves. Think about that for a moment. Here is a king of one of the most prominent powers of his time talking about a foreign god whose kingdom will never end, for he rescues and he saves. That's the hope that we have, that in the pit, that we can trust that God rescues and saves. Now, this is where the talk gets uncomfortable because I left out a significant chunk of the story. If you've ever read this story, there's some people that die and it's not pretty because the king, after he finds that Daniel has been rescued, orders that the men that conspired against Daniel and their wives and their children be thrown into the pit and they die. We have trouble with stories like this in the Old Testament, don't we? And our first inclination is to go, why would God let that happen? Well, let me back up for a moment. The scripture says 
It was the king. And so that's, I'm laying this out there because this is one of the most difficult things about these stories, and it's certainly never addressed in Sunday school. Why would God let that happen? Why would God allow that to happen? Why would he let the king do that? In the midst of rescuing Daniel, people die. Now, I encourage you to come, if you can, and stick around afterwards, and we're calling this this question and answer time where we're going to really dive into the different ways that the Bible talks about suffering and God's role in it. I know some of you can't be here for that. But here's one of the difficult things that I think that, that is true. And you'll hear me say this again during the time after this. We don't know all of the ways of God and why he does what he does. But there are some things that we do know. The scripture teaches that God is with us, even in the most horrible suffering, even when we feel like he's not there. Secondly, he doesn't avoid pain. He is not up on a throne somewhere, distant, watching and going, oops. And you know how I know that? It's because the cross tells us that. God put on flesh and suffered among us and for us. You know what's interesting about this story? Look at the elements of it for a moment. Take out the lions, take out the king, and you have a man in a stone tomb and a stone that gets rolled away at dawn. Does that sound familiar to anyone? What's different is that Daniel doesn't die. But the other story, the man does die. But three days later, rises again from the grave. Do you see that again and again and again, I feel like God is screaming out through the scriptures, I'm the God who rescues. I am the God who rescues. And yes, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be pain, there will be suffering, but I am with you. I do not avoid violence and pain. In fact, we live, we all know, don't we, that we live in a violent world. We read the story in the Old Testament about the women and the children and the officials being thrown into the pit, and we go, how brutal, how absolutely savage. But then we can flip on the news and say the exact same thing. The good news is, if God didn't leave then, he hasn't left now. God is with us. He does not avoid pain. And yes, there's mystery. We cannot pretend to understand why all of these things happen. We'll dive more into that in the question and discussion time. I don't pretend to have answers. But the last thing is, is something that we just sang about. One day, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, for all the old things have passed away and the new have come, says our Lord. 
hard thing that we have to live with and that we'll see in the scriptures time and time again that God and his miraculous ability to rescue unfortunately most often comes through his people and the way that they witness through suffering. That is not a good sales pitch for getting members, but it's the truth. God's power to rescue most often comes through his followers and the way they handle suffering. Now, let me say one thing about what that does not mean. When you are going through personal hell, it does not mean put on a happy face. That is not what that means. It means that even in the face of you not understanding why or you even feeling like God is distant and you don't understand his ways, that you cling to a hope that he is still good and his love endures forever. That is not easy to do. And by the way, the Bible gives us license to cry out to God and ask why. But again and again, God shows himself to be the God who rescues through the witness of the people that know him, that are enduring great pain. It's not easy. The comfort that we have is that he does not ask any of us to do what he himself did not do on the cross. In closing tonight, I just want you to remember one thing. Again and again, God calls out to us through stories like this. I'm a God who can rescue. I am the God who rescues. Let's pray together.